0: In love, as long as we don't stay in that area of confusion. Shaken in our mind because of the senses, our senses. Emotional feelings. I'm emotional. I'm not hard-hearted. Some people think, Pastor, you must not have any feelings. Yes, I do, but I've tried to put my senses secondary to what the Word says. And know that it's a blessing if people are obedient to God's Word, even if it doesn't feel like it's going to be right. Instability. First thing was confusion. Second is instability. Instability is caused, as we said before, by masquerading in mannerisms, speeches, expressions, styles, and habits of this world, which we are no longer representative of. And they're caused by that floating mass of opinions and thoughts and speculations and hopes and impulses and aims and aspirations, which may be impossible to adequately define, yet it constitutes an effective power of influence on us. James 1 8 A double minded man is unstable in what? How many? Say that one more time. How many? A double-minded man is unstable in all. Now that word double-minded means a two-faced man, a two-souled man, an unsteady or a fickle man. It means by being two-faced, it means that he wobbles and reels as a drunk or as a vessel on water to the shore and away from it. One day is this way, and the next day is that way. He so said, now that's what a double-minded man is like. In all of his ways, everything he does, just back and forth. You never know where he's going to be the next time you see him. One time, glory to God, hallelujah. Over here, oh, I'm down in the dumps, I'll never go. And you know, back and forth. He's unstable in all of his ways. And the thing that's going to cause that instability is the unwillingness to have our mind renewed by the Word of God. Now, I've had people, I've sat down, and I've actually had them say this to me. Brother Webb, whenever you and I talk and we go to the Word of God and we look at the verses, it sounds so clear, it sounds so absolutely right. It's just what the Word says. And then when I get away and I start talking to somebody, all of a sudden I'm all shook up. And I come back and say, it surely can't mean that. he says, then I come and talk to you again, and it just seems like there is no other answer. That's exactly what the Word of God. And I go over and talk to someone else, and I come back and say, Pastor, isn't there another answer? What is it? It's instability. Because it's not been renewed by the Word of God. The mind has not been renewed to where it doesn't make any difference what I feel, think, or anything else. It's does the Word teach it? If I am convinced that's what the Word teaches it, it doesn't make any difference of the circumstances. It's the best. Our emotions are going really shaped by the Word, formed by the Word of God. This my mind is my mind. I'll think what the Word of God I know what I feel. I know the empathy. I know the emotions I feel over here. I cannot become involved in that emotional situation. I have to come back and say, what does the word of God say? Here's what the word of God says. Now, my hand is my hand that will obey me. My mind is my mind that will obey the word of God. Now, I know, and my heart goes out to this situation over here, but I cannot let that sway me from what God's word says because there are a lot of people that I don't want to have to tell them that they're going to hell. But if the word says they're going to hell, then I've got to teach them that the word says they're going to go to hell. There are a lot of people who say to me, Brother Webb, I believe that there's a heaven, but I don't believe that there's a hell. I don't ever want to hear about hell. And I have to say to them, you know, it doesn't make any difference what you think or what I think. It doesn't make any difference whether you believe in hell or not. I'm sure God didn't send a fire crew down there to put it out just because you don't believe in it. It's there. Now, what are we going to do about it? God did not prepare hell for you. He prepared it for the devil and his angels. But if we choose not to live with God here on earth, then that same choice will take effect in eternity. God gives you the opportunity to choose where you'll spend eternity. He brings the truth to you, and what you do with that truth determines your destiny. Now, that's hard. How many of you have been in churches where they don't preach the gospel of Jesus Christ? I've gone into 20-some denominations when I used to be in church bond financing. I went into churches, and they said, Pastor, do you want to preach here? We'd like to have you preach while you're here. Speak on stewardship. I said, well... I'll be glad to, but do uh, you want me to preach a message? I said, now you know my background. I'm an evangelist. I will preach. Well, go ahead. Churches that did not believe in the new birth experience. And I would get up and get share my testimony and bring out scripture verses and all the way down the line. I had to. I didn't be offensive to them. I just simply shared with them what Jesus had done in my life. And consequently, later on, I saw people that got saved. Now, the cruelest thing I could have done would have been to have gotten up and appeased and gone along with what they thought. I know with Billy Graham people criticize him for having liberals and modernists on the platform with him. Now I would be critical of Billy Graham if he sat on the platform and let them preach but I don't care who I get on my platform to sit there on the platform as long as they don't do anything and let me preach to their people and tell them about the word. I could bring a man from a a topless bar in here and let him sit over here if I had to if I could get the word to his people. I'd go to his bar and preach if I had to to get the gospel to them but I I wouldn't soften it i preach what the word says. If I were had to go down to San Francisco and preach in an area where there, there are homosexuality and lesbianism uh, just rampant down there, I wouldn't go down there and talk about the resurrection. i teach what the word of God has to say about homosexuality and lesbianism and the need for repentance that they might be saved. See, it's never easy to preach the truth, but it's the best. That's why it's terrible for people to go around flattering people. The Word says it's a friend, a real friend, will tell you the truth. And you don't even sugarcoat it. You say, this is the truth. And if you're not shaken in your mind and are anchored in the Word of God and your mind is renewed to the Word of God, that doesn't become a difficult thing to you because you're not concerned about what they think about you. You're concerned about what they think about the Lord. I mean, you've already died. You lost your reputation at Calvary. And you can love them with a deep love. And I when I say that I'd go and preach to that type of person, I would preach it with a deep love. You know, but by the grace of God, there go you and me. That's not if it weren't for the grace of God, I'd probably be in prison myself today. Just the grace of God is the only difference between us. So I don't go and say, Boy, I'm really gonna lay these guys I, I'm going to go and share the love of God and what God has to say to them that there is a redeemer, there is a remedy. There's a sickness, there's a disease, but there's a remedy, and that remedy is in Jesus Christ. And the same thing is true. People say, you mean to say that marriage and divorce and remarriage, that remarriage is the unpardonable sin? Absolutely not. It's the same as every other sin in the world. Repent of it. Turn your back on it. Trust in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. It's like any other sin. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and the 5th verse. I said that one of the causes of instability is not knowing that your mind is yours. 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Let me start with verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds or fortifications, casting down imaginations or reasonings, And every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, I could spend a lot of time on this verse, but I just don't feel like I dare tonight. But just first of all, let me tell you that that word casting down actually means flinging down throwing it against the ground very, very hard. Every thought to the obedience of Christ, casting down every imagination, bringing every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now, what kind of thoughts are you to bring into captivity and to fling down? Every imagination, every thought that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God. What is the knowledge of God? Where do we get our knowledge of God? From the Word. Paul is saying, be very, very careful. Now, we're in a warfare. It doesn't make any difference. You see, the devil will try to bring in imaginations and speculations and ideas and philosophies and get them to all be rolling around in our mind that it might exalt itself against the knowledge of God. He says, now, those things that are in your mind, cast them down. Put them down. Don't have anything more to do with them. Get rid of them. If they exalt themselves against the knowledge of God, that's sin... That's very clear, isn't it? Now, when we come into these different doctrines that are not easy, we've got to be able to weed out because our mind is ours. We've got to weed it out according to the knowledge of the Word of God, knowing that our mind is ours and we're responsible for it. We've got to weed out that which is uh, shaking our mind, making it unstable. Because it's not based upon the Word of God. It's based upon our senses here. He says, take those imaginations and those things and throw them to the ground and bring every thought in your mind into the obedience of Christ. Now, who does it sound like you're supposed to do that? Well, I'll just let the Lord work all that out in my mind. Mm -mm. Hand, don't you hit somebody tonight. Close, open, close, open. Point. Mind, don't you allow imaginations in there anymore. I am having my mind renewed by the word of God. I'll only think those things which are true, which are honest, which are just, which are pure, which are lovely, which are of good report. That's what I'm going to think on mine. Now you cut out thinking about anything else. I rebuke any other thoughts in the name of Jesus. Emotionalism, sentimentalism, I'm going to fling them down in the name of Jesus and bring them all those thoughts into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Is that what it's saying? That's exactly what it's saying. Your mind is yours. You bring it into captivity and quit letting your mind fly off in all these sentimental, emotional areas. Fling them down. And that includes, of course, fear and loneliness and resentment and anger and depression and unworthiness and sickness and headaches. All these other things that we receive, fling them down. Don't have anything to do with them. Even if the devil's been jerking on your bell string ever since you're a little person, begin to cut that string off and say, now I'm listening to a different drumbeat. I will not think upon these things anymore. That's why I said, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true and so forth. See why I said God showed me that this is what we need to understand in order that our minds can be renewed and that we won't have all this floating to the shore and away from the shore and back to the shore and away from the shore, which we have in our emotional experiences because they're not renewed by the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? If that's where it stays. Oh, but right here. But brother, what? No, the word of God says this. But if you could just understand that, back here to the word of God, fling those imaginations down. What does the word say? That's where I stand. That's what Paul's saying. These sentimental and these emotional appeals are not going to come to my mind because they are exalting themselves against what I know to be the knowledge of God's word. And the word of God is going to be first in my life. God help us not to be shaken in our minds. Now, you see, we have to come to that place where we fling down those other imaginations and the fear of men and emotionalism and sentimentalism and all the rest of it. That's what God's Word says. And that's where I stand. Now, people are going to get mad at you. They're going to come right up in your face and scream at you. And if you're unstable and you're, you're, you're confused, you're going to go, oh, oh, oh. More, I, maybe, maybe I missed something. My mind is renewed by the Word of God. What does the Word of God say? If you aren't sure what the Word of God says, I trust before this is all over with, you will know what the Word of God says. I'm simply helping you to walk through the water that I walked through for two years, now three years. See, a place where today, I can honestly tell you, do I believe in tongues? Yes. Do I believe in healing? Yes. Do I believe in deliverance? Yes, I do. Do I believe that it's necessary to repent of all your sins in order to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life? Yes, if the Word of God says I need to repent of those sins, and that if I commit those sins and live in those sins, I can't go to heaven, that's what the Word says, that's what I believe. But what do you think? People always will say to you, like they say, well, what do you think about it? I said, wait a minute, it doesn't make any difference what I think. Yeah, but what do you think? I said, I think the Word of God. Well, what do you think the Word of God says? I don't think what the Word of God says. I know what the Word of God says. Have you studied it? Well, I what does the Word of God say? Well, how about this verse over here in Hezekiah 8.18 that says, you know, completely out of context. What? No, that's not what it's saying at all. Let's go through it. Oh, well, I just don't feel. It doesn't make a difference what you feel. Now, where does it say you're going to get saved by feelings? Where does it say you're going to have the peace of God by feelings? Through the knowledge and understanding of God's Word, we come into a place of victory in Christ. And know that we stand in the hope of the glory of God. Not shaken in our mind, not in unstable, not in confusion. That's what the word of God says. Now, you know, once you get there, glory to God, it doesn't hurt a bit anymore. It doesn't make any difference what people think of me anymore. I simply say to them, please, in the name of Jesus, if I'm wrong, please show me from the word. And none have been able to do it thus far. Instead, when I were all through, they say, Well, I didn't know that, and I didn't know this, and I didn't know that. I say, That's what I'm saying. You need your mind anchored in the Word. That's where it's at. You see, there's got to be a unity in your mind and a unity amongst the brethren on that position before we can stand in one heart and one mind and one spirit and say, This is the message God has given us, and this is where we're standing, and we're going to believe God for the results. Amen? If half of us say yes, and the other half stand around, well, I hope so, I think so, I'm not sure. Well, now I know Brother Webb says it, but, back and forth. A house that's divided against itself can't stand. And the only question I have is, upon what do we stand? We keep saying we're a New Testament church. We're a New Testament church. This is our foundation. These other imaginations, fling them down. Put them down don't have anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of the Word, the knowledge of God. Then when you stand there, men may not appreciate it too much, but in that day, I believe with all my heart, God's going to say, Well done, now good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I'll make you faithful over much. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Can you say it with me? Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good rapport, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Let's do it one more time. Philippians, the fourth chapter, and the eighth verse. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren... Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Father, in the name of Jesus, let the Holy Spirit cause these words to live in our hearts cause these words to change and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You know something? I have found out that the only way that we can learn is when we keep getting truth upon truth upon truth. I'm not going to review that long, but you see, well, on Sunday nights, there's some people that haven't learned that the churches are open on Sunday nights too, and they missed what I say on Sunday nights. So in order for them to get from Sunday morning to Sunday morning, I have to give them a little bit of what I said on Sunday night. So quickly listen, and I'll tell you what we're talking about. We're talking about the symptoms of an unrenewed mind, a mind that has not been renewed by the word of God. What are the symptoms? And I said, first of all, that the symptom is confusion. When a person has not had their mind renewed by the word of God, they come into a a state of confusion. In 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, be not soon shaken in your mind. Remember me talking about that last week, being shaken in your mind? And I said in the Greek, that actually means to be put out of balance or to be swayed by your senses. Paul said to the Thessalonians, don't be swayed in your mind. Don't allow what you see and hear and speak and smell and taste and touch. Don't let that sway you when you know what the word of God says. So important. If, it, if you don't come to that truth, you're going to be flowing back and forth all the time in confusion. That's one of the first symptoms of a mind that has not been renewed by the word of God. Another description of it is as a building in an earthquake shakes back and forth or rocks back and forth or a ship in a storm or a ship that is pulled along by an insecure anchor. It keeps letting go and drifting on. That's the first symptom of a person whose mind has not been renewed by the word of God. The second one was instability. Instability. James talks about the double-minded person. And I said last Sunday night that that word double-minded in the Greek means two-faced or two-souled or unsteady or fickle. One who wobbles or reels as a drunk or is like a boat that is tied by the water that swings out to the water and back to the shore and out to the water and back to the shore. And the scripture says that the double-minded person is unstable in what? How many? All his ways. Again, the double-minded person is a two-faced, two-souled person, a fickle person, an unsteady person who's swaying back and forth. Well, I think, I hope it, I don't feel that. That's the, that's the thing he's talking about. Now, that's a symptom, again, of the unrenewed mind, the mind that has not been renewed by the Word of God. And we said several weeks ago that Romans 12, 1 and 2 declares that if we have not had our minds renewed by the Word of God, we're in open rebellion to God. Remember the imperative verb? Be ye transformed. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds that ye may prove that that which is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Remember that portion? Those verbs say that this is a command. Do it. And if you don't do it, we're in a disobedience to the Lord. And the symptoms of it, as I said, are instability and confusion. Now I know... Last week, as we talked about that, the one key element that God has shown me in these past weeks has been, he says that we have control of our minds, that we are to take these thoughts and to deal with them. The first thing I said, the first answer, what causes the instability was double-minded. But the, the, another thing is not knowing that our mind is our own and we can control it. The word tells us in Second Corinthians ten five that we are to bring into captivity every thought and every imagination that rears its head up against the knowledge of the truth. And that word, bring into captivity and tear down, it actually means fling it down with finality. Like you, do. well, the best example that just came into my mind was one time when I reached for something and suddenly I felt something crawling in my hand. I just reached over casually to pick it up and it was crawling. And I flipped it down very suddenly and I, I noticed that it was a huge bug. And I was expecting to pick up something very quiet on the table. And when I got it in my hand, I flung it down and I stepped on it very quickly. And that's the actual thing that the scripture is talking about here. When you find an imagination or a thought or any ideology or philosophy that comes up in your mind that is contrary to the word of God, you are not to play with it. You're not to just tinker with it. You're to fling it down and have nothing more to do with it. Because your mind is your own. Now, we talked about that and said this is my hand. I tell it to close and open, to point, to double up its fist. It obeys me. And my mind is my mind. If you and I can learn, grasp that truth, it will transform our minds. We're to take any other thoughts contrary to what the Word says and fling them down, have nothing more to do with them. Second thing is, the second cause of instability... Is failing to recognize that renewing our minds is our work and it's not God's work. Is what brings on instability. Failing to recognize that the renewing of our mind is our work and it's not God's work. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present. What? Your bodies, present your bodies, a living sacrifice. You present them. You bring them up. You give them to God. You make a commitment to God in these things. Now, I know that whenever you make a dead sacrifice, that you and I have to pick up that dead sacrifice and we have to bring it and place it on the altar. But the Word of God says that we are to be living sacrifices. That's different. Where we take ourselves and we submit our minds and we submit our bodies and we submit our wills totally to the will of God as the instructions given to us in the Word of God. Instability comes when we begin to think, well, God knows my heart. God will have to deal with that thing. I can't do it. It says, by the renewing of your own mind. You know, it's a very easy thing to blame God. I was talking with someone this past week and I was sharing with them one of the things that used to just upset me so terribly in Bible college is all the things that God got blamed for. But you know, it hasn't quit there. It still happens wherever I go in Christian circles. People say, oh, God led me into this. And then suddenly, oh, God led me out of this. I know of a man some time ago that God led him into business. No question about it. God's anointing was on this business. God had done this. God had done that. God opened this door. God opened the other door. And suddenly got into the business and went into total disaster. Well, God now led him out of the state and God led him somewhere else. I wonder how many times we blame God for our own inefficiency and inadequacies. In Bible college, I used to see these guys come down the hall and dancing into the dormitory. Oh, glory to God, the Lord led us together. Oh, she's a beautiful, wonderful girl. It's just amazing. The Lord just brought her all the way from such and such and me all the way from such and such and now we're together. It's just God's perfect will. I just know that God did this. And three weeks later, you'd see them. And they're running with someone else. and say, well, what happened? Well, the Lord just led me and said that wasn't the one. So I'm going to be going with this one over here. I thought, Lord, I, you know, now, you know, that's very possible for us many, many times when we come into an area and we see that we have instability and confusion in our minds to we say, well, God knows my heart. God, the truth is, he does know our heart. God really does know our heart. And he understands that we're not willing to stand on the principles of God's word that says we have a responsibility and God won't accept the blame for it. That's why he said, put on the whole armor of God that you may stand. He didn't say so that I can put starch in your belt. And put a a 2 before 4 down your spine and put braces on your knees, he says, so that you can stand. Put on the whole armor of God. We have a responsibility there that you may be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, the Word of God tells us in 1 John 3, 8, the last part of it. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came And did all that needed to be done to destroy the works of the devil. Does Jesus have to do anything else today to destroy the works of the devil? How much more does he have to do? I know there's some religions that say that we have to add to the sacrifices or the sufferings of Jesus. But the word tells me once for all it was completed. Now if Jesus has done everything that needs to be done and you and I are still having a problem, who's to blame? God? If you and I know that Jesus paid the total price and all the works of Satan have been destroyed and you and I still feel like we've got a a tin can tied to our tail on a tin roof and we're running up and down in confusion and instability, who's to blame? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you allow him to renew your mind. No. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you allow God to present your body as a living... No. God says... You, I beseech you that you, as an act of your will, you present your body to me. You draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. Isn't that what it says? God says, you didn't choose me, I chose you, but now that you've come, I'll take you as far as you'll let me take you. I'm going to shake your glass once in a while to show you if there's any coke in the glass. I'm going to shake you up once in a while. And then once you see it, don't say, ah, I'm dead, I'm through, I'm finished, I'm no good. Instead, say, Lord, thank you for letting me see what's in that glass. Now, in the name of Jesus, my mind is my mind. My body is totally committed to Jesus Christ. And I will think only what is consistent with the word of God. Philippians 4, eight. Satan says, get mad. No, that isn't just. That isn't pure. That isn't holy. That isn't true. That isn't lovely. That isn't of good report. No, I will not get mad in the name of Jesus. Well, oh, I can't do that, Pastor Joe. Oh, there's that unrenewed mind again. Why can't you do it? Well, it's just been there all the... There's that unrenewed mind again. I beseech you, brethren, let your mind be renewed. You do it. How? Finally, only think on these things. But I've thought anger all my life. That's right. I've thought fighting all my life. i fought thought violence all my life. I've thought getting ahead for myself all my life. But you know, there had to come a time when that was renewed. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you used to be able to make the air pretty well blue around you before you were a Christian? What happened? Oh, well, that's all put aside. Your mind was renewed in that area, wasn't it? How many of you believe that healing is for today? How many of you believe that before you were saved? Okay, not too many. Your mind was renewed, wasn't it? God, give me the wisdom to know how to get this truth across to you to where it doesn't just come up here, but it gets down here. And I know people say, Brother Webb, I hear what you're saying, but boy, it, Satan keeps getting the victory over me in my mind, and I don't understand. Why is he doing this? How is he doing it? Through ignorance. And you say, how do you like that? Preacher, stand up there calling me ignorant. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that his only possible way of getting victory in your life and mine is through ignorance, first of all, our ignorance of the Word. What does the Word say? Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. What's free? Is free constantly being in bondage in your mind? Ye shall know the what? What is truth? Come on. The Word, ye shall know, let's put that in there. Ye shall know the Word, and the Word shall set you free. Can't we do that? Say that. Ye shall know the Word, and the Word shall set you free. Most people in most churches, thank God it isn't true always, but in many, many churches today, the people that are having difficulty are the ones that come in on Sunday morning with their mouths open like a baby sperm and say, stuff it in, preacher, it's got to last all week. They don't know what it is to feed themselves on the Word of God, they don't know what it is to grow, and they wonder why they're having difficulty spiritual problems they don't know anything unless they learn john three sixteen in sunday school oh they'll give a perusal they'll give a, a fast skimming of the word of god they'll read their verses in the morning read them at night and they forget it and they say i don't understand why well, i have all these problems i'm a christian i keep asking god to set me free and i keep asking god to help me and i keep asking god to, 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 to bring my mind and make it to do what, it's, what he wants it to do no no he shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Now, you have to know the word. And the second thing, by knowing the word, you need to know God's power. Ephesians, the first chapter. Look at Ephesians for a minute. I want you to see something that Paul desired for all Christians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, in other words, Paul says, I'm praying that you'll have wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now you notice it doesn't say our inheritance in Christ. We have an inheritance in Christ. But he's talking here about by our eyes being opened and our understanding being opened that we'll begin to understand what Christ's inheritance in us is. Now remember, there can be no inheritance until what takes place first? There somebody has to die. We could not inherit eternal life in Jesus Christ until, first of all, he died. And then he rose to be the testator or the, the administrator of, of his own will. But here he says that with our eyes being opened and our understanding being opened and enlightened with spiritual truth, that we'll be able to comprehend Christ's inheritance in us. It'll cause us to understand what it means to be dead, a living sacrifice. Dead indeed under sin and alive unto God. He says until your eyes are opened and you understand these things... Through the, the word of God, you'll never be able to come into the place where God can begin to have his inheritance in you and me. All right, now let's go on. Verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power? He said, until we know by wisdom and understanding and revelation through a knowledge of the word of God, we'll never be able to understand his exceeding power to us. That's why I said the reason Satan has most Christians on the run is through ignorance of the word and God's power. And they'll never know these things until they know what the word says. Is that true? That's what Paul said. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places where far above all principalities and power and might and dominion And every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Now, for those of you that were never in some of the sessions where we taught on deliverance, this may be of interest to you, and it may cause you to understand a little bit more what Paul's talking about here. And something that we need to understand more so we'll know our position in Jesus Christ. The scripture says that Jesus has now been raised from the dead and set in heavenly places far above all principalities and power. Now, I know there are a lot of people today that think that Satan is sitting on their tail all the time, sitting on their shoulder and pounding on their ear all the time. No, he's not really. He goes back and forth. He's pr- prince of the power of the air, the ruler of the darkness of this world. But you see, he has a whole vast army of demons and angels working for him. Regimented, right down, just like an army. Higher angels over a whole kingdom and then those over a province and then those over a state and then those over a city and then those over a neighborhood. It's all regimented. Now, if you understand what the scripture says in the Hebrew and the Greek, whenever it talks about heavens, it's plural because they always describe the fact that there are three heavens. There's the planetary heaven as we know it right now. That's where all the galaxies are, these multiplied billions of stars out there. Then the second heaven, according to the Hebrew and the Greek, would be your terrestrial heavens, which are out and beyond that. And then the third is the celestial heaven. And you see, Satan and his angels have not been cast down to the earth yet. That will happen at the beginning of the tribulation period They'll be cast down to earth. Right now, Satan and his hosts are between us and God. Does that surprise some of you? They dwell in the terrestrial. They were cast down out of the third heaven into the second heaven. And that's where they dwell right now in the second heaven. And so every time you and I pray, those prayers have to go right straight through. If you don't believe that, read Daniel. When when Daniel prayed, that prayer had been hindered by the prince of Persia. The angel, the satanic angel of Persia was keeping God's angel from bringing the answer to Daniel. But now I want you to see something. When Jesus rose from the dead, the word says he went through the planetary heavens and through the terrestrial heavens and all the enemy's ground into the celestial heaven and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for us so that Satan and all of his hosts are under his feet. You say, glory to God, Jesus is seated there in the celestial heavens, and he can look down upon all the works of Satan. He knows all that's going on and he is to- he's totally conquered him. He has been revealed that he might destroy the works of Satan. And he did it. It's finished. Totally destroyed. You say, oh, glory to God. Won't it be wonderful to get into heaven? Won't it be wonderful to be with Jesus? Listen, David, there's where ignorance comes in on our part. The Word tells us in the next chapter of Ephesians, fifth verse. Let me, let me, let me go back to the fourth verse. I'll, I might get back all the way here. But God, who is rich in mercy for his love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. And hath raised us up together and made us, what? Sit together, where? In heavenly places, where? In Christ Jesus. Positionally, now understand what I'm saying. Positionally today, you and I, because when God did the work in our lives, it was a complete work, a total work. We have been redeemed, we have been glorified already in God's sight. We are seated now, spiritually, in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What does the word say? We're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Spiritually, God has seated us with Christ far above all principalities and powers, all the rulers of the darkness, and we can, in the name of Jesus, say, Satan, you're defeated. Not only in the world, you're defeated in my life, and you'll not take control of my life. You'll not take control of my tongue. You'll not take control of my temper. You'll not take control and cause me to be sarcastic and argumentative and bitter and repulsive. You're not going to do that anymore. My mind is my mind. I, knowing my authority and knowing my position, I will think upon what the Word of God says. You see, as long as Satan keeps us blinded to the fact that we don't have to be those things anymore, he can keep us defeated. Now, let me tell you this much. Do you know after I got through preaching last Sunday night? God made me walk this out for the next two days. I was looking up to see bottom. I tell you, I, he came against me to where I, I said to someone, I said, you know, I was lucky I didn't meet anyone with money on the way home. I'd have sold out for a nickel. I went way down and way down in the bottom when I just, ah, oh, you know, self-pity, feel sorry for yourself, all the stuff. And he says, feel sorry. And I oh, just feel sorry for myself, you know. You're persecuted. Oh, yeah, I'm persecuting And all of a sudden, I said, no. Beverly was riding with me. I said, no. In the name of Jesus, my mind is my mind. I'll not think this anymore. And afterwards, the Lord says, well, I wanted to see if you were going to walk what you talk. But let me tell you, it's a daily, consistent struggle of trying to stay in that position or causing ourselves to stay in that position where there's no longer instability and double-mindedness. Because my mind is my mind, and God tells me I'm to have that mind renewed by the Word of God. It's an ignorance of knowing Satan's position. What did I just read to you back there, that verse? For this purpose, verse John 3, 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now let me tell you, he's going to come like a roaring lion, the Scripture says. But again, I tell you that it's the roaring lion that never does any damage. It's the quiet lion that you've got to watch out for. In the jungles, they'll have the old lion go around on one side of a field and lie down with no teeth and let him roar. And all the animals will flee out the other side into the woods, right into the mouths of the young lions. And that's exactly what the Word says concerning Satan. He goes around as a roaring lion. He's toothless. And we say, "Well, he's not toothless as far as I'm concerned. He's just been whipping me... <laughs> Up so one side and down the other. That's because of an ignorance of God's word and your position of authority and Satan's position of defeat. When you get it down here and you know it, you'll be able to stand on it. And you'll say, no, in the name of Jesus. you say, oh, yeah, you don't really believe that. I do believe it. No, you don't really do believe that. Yes, I do. Not going to do you any good to keep saying those things because you don't really believe it. And he'll keep working at you until you know that you know that you know that you know that you believe it. a struggle. And his struggle is to keep you in darkness and in doubt and in defeat. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our doubt. Is that what it says? And this is the victory that overcomes the world, what? Even our faith. Faith. Good illustration of what I'm talking about here. We've got to know the word. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Faith in what? Faith in what I feel. I said I'm not going to think that anymore, but I feel like I'm going to, so I probably will. No faith that God's Word says I don't have to anymore. You know, I feel like I'm drilling and drilling and I've got to get this across to us to understand what I'm saying. You're not going to feel like you want to think those thoughts. You're going to be told it's not going to do any good to think those thoughts but that is what I'm saying. You don't want to be swayed or swept back and forth by our senses. I know what I feel but that doesn't make any difference. I'm dead and God's Word is true and I'll believe God's Word. Mm. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. I'm going to close with this illustration. I said that the reason Satan can do this is because of ignorance on our part many times to the Word and our position in Christ and God's power in our lives and our place how we're seated in the place of authority with Jesus Christ. I remember as a young boy years ago, and it made a big impression on me, I made the mistake during the Second World War of being patriotic, overly patriotic, and I went out when they had the old scrap drive. Some of you are too young to remember that, but they used to go out and collect all the scrap we could we'd smash tin cans, and back then it was it was the end thing to be patriotic. it was the in thing to stand up for your country and be proud to be an American anymore. you almost have to crawl in the corner to have that position, it seems like because you 're not in. But back then when I thought about the boys overseas fighting and I could have something to part to do about it and I had a little red coaster wagon, they said we're going to collect uh, junk, iron, and scrap metal for the war cause. I went out and I worked, sometimes I'd get up early in the morning and go out and go to all my neighbors and down the street into another neighborhood and haul back wagon load after wagon load of scrap iron. And before long the principal saw where I was dumping it and finally said, Joe, I want you to move all your scrap over here in another pile. I didn't know what he had in mind, but I kept noticing that my pile was getting as big as the school's pile. Of course, that just made me all the happier and made me want to work all the harder. Well, they made the mistake of putting an article in the paper, taking my picture standing in front of that pile of scrap with my little red coaster wagon, and under it saying, Mr. Joe Webb, Mr. Joe America. Well, I was so thrilled. I think I was in about the second or third grade when that happened. I was so thrilled and so excited until I got home and walked out the door of my house, and there stood three of my neighbor fellows. And they were so mad that from that day forward, the whole neighborhood would try to track me down and chase me. And I'll tell you, it got to a place where I had to be careful where I went and how I went, and I'd have to change my way home and to change my way going, and I had to learn to be very fleet-footed, because actually I was the, one of the smallest guys in the whole neighborhood, but I could run. Lost a couple of fights when I hit some gravel, I know, going around a corner. But I remember this went on and on and on, and I thought, goodness, I wish I'd have never collected any scrap metal for the United States government, for the war cause. And this didn't stop after a few years. It kept on going on until when I was in high school one time, this one fellow just wouldn't let up, and he was about three or four years older than me, weighed about 40 pounds more than I did, and he kept saying, I'm going to get you, and boy, every time I'd see his car, and I didn't even have a car yet, I was still walking, I'd divert and try to go another way home. And my friend says, well, I wouldn't be afraid of him. Joe, you can beat him. I said, "No, no way. You see that guy? I mean, look, look how big he is. He looks like a, a gorilla. I mean, he's just huge, you know, way bigger than me and older than me. Here I was just starting into the lower parts of high school, and he was up in the top grades about ready to graduate. I said, no way. He kept saying, don't be afraid of him. He's just a big bluff, you know. I said, ah, yeah, big bluff. Well, he's a big one. And I, I went in fear for months and months and months about that situation. And then one night, he caught me. And I knew I could either end up like, you know, in a heap or do something about it. So in fear, I took this fellow's word for it and I said, I'll try. And I tore into him. And you know something? In a few minutes, I had him flat on his back by both ears and banged his head a few times on the ground and he gave up. And I let him up and, you know, I played the part. And if you ever try that again, I want you to know I'll take you again and tell you 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 Yeah. I wish you could have seen me walking home that night. I didn't care if all the guys saw me that night. I wanted them all to know that here I was. I wasn't fooled by that bully anymore. I had gone for months in ignorance thinking that he had a victory over me, and if he ever got a hold of me, he's going to clobber me. And I, I really believed it. Now, nothing changed except suddenly I found out that I was believing a lie. And I can't tell you what that did for me. Until I found Jesus Christ from that day on, I began to set up a regimented program schedule of going back to every one of those guys that had been beating on me for years and I was methodically taking them on. You see, I went from a stage of fear to cockiness now. Why? Because I didn't have to believe that I was defeated already back there all the way through. I lived in fear and defeat for years until finally one day, this friend of mine kept saying, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And I did it. Now, I don't look upon that with pride, but it had such an impression on my life, it makes me to realize that what I'm saying about this is true also. Satan has programmed us for so long that he's got the victory over us. They got us so programmed that he just punches the button and it just pops on the screen and that's all we believe. We won't question it whatsoever. And it's time for us to plug into another pole. And that's the Word of God and reprogram our minds to say that my mind is my mind, and by the grace of God, I'll think what God wants me to think, and I'll quit thinking lies. I'm not going to be unstable. I'm not going to be double-minded. I am going to be established and founded on the Word of God. Now, when we begin to do this, we're going to see God begin to change our lives so radically that the world will begin to wonder what it is that's come into our lives and make us to be what we are. I see so many Christians keeping this front out. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, you know. But inside, they're just in constant turmoil. And they've never learned yet that Paul said that for a purpose under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that when we get our minds renewed, we'll come into a place of being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Did you hear me? When do we come into that? When our minds are established on the Word of God, I may think something, I may feel something, I may taste something, but that is nothing. What does the Word of God say? Then we can put our foot down and say that far and no further. That's a place of victory. In Jesus' name, Father. We confess that unless we allow the Holy Spirit to convince us of this truth, we'll go through life defeated. God grant it that it will be not so. Instead, we'll say from the bottom of our spirits, all to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give, that He'll have first place in our lives. The Word of God will become our map. It will become a light unto our path and a lamp unto our, our step. In the name of Jesus, I ask that this truth will be ministered to our spirits to where we'll never be the same. That we'll begin to speak it, we'll begin to confess it, we'll begin to walk it day by day. With your heads bowed, I'd like to ask you to make a confession with me this morning. It's one thing to hear a truth. It's another thing to speak it with our mouth. I confess that I'm a believer. Can you say that if you're a Christian this morning? I confess that I'm a believer. My mind is my mind. By the grace of God, I've been washed in the blood of Jesus and I'm determined that my body... Will be a living sacrifice to Him. I yield it to Him completely. And I declare, because I'm a believer, my mind will be renewed by the Word of God. I reject instability, I reject double mindedness in the name of Jesus. God's Word is true, God's Word is clear. My mind will be renewed. I will thank God's Word. I will confess God's Word. Those things which are true and honest. Those things which are just. Those things which are true. Those things which are lovely. Those things which are of good report. In the name of Jesus. I will cause my mind to think these thoughts and trust the Holy Spirit to give me discernment. In Jesus' name, Amen. Philippians, the fourth chapter, the eighth verse. You know it yet? Finally, my brethren, right? Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are True. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. We have been talking about the renewed mind now for several weeks. In Romans 12, 2, it says... Be not conformed. And we've stated that to be conformed to the world is to be in rebellion to God, in total disobedience to God. Be not conformed to this world. We began to talk what it meant to be conformed to this world. And we said that the basic reason for all of this is an unrenewed mind, a mind that has not been renewed through, to, and by the Word of God. Through the reading of the Word and obedience to the Word, our mind becomes renewed. And we said the results of an unrenewed mind, first of all, was what? Anybody remember? The first result of an unrenewed mind was confusion. Remember that. If you see someone that's in confusion, mark it down. They have an unrenewed mind. And I told you that confusion is to be put out of balance or to be swayed by our senses. Again, by those five senses. What we see, smell, hear, taste, and feel. Confusion comes by not taking what the Word says, but what we feel or smell or taste or see or touch or hear. Now, that's very important to understand. If you see confusion coming into your life, spiritual life, begin to see if you are doing something or thinking something or feeling something or hearing something that's contrary to the Word. And generally speaking, that'll be the reason for it. Well, I just can't feel that that's what it really means. See? When that happens, then you come into a place of confusion. If it doesn't mean that, what does it mean? Well, I don't really know exactly what it means, but I, it surely couldn't mean that. If it says that, that's what it means. Now stand on that and see what happens. See, The second thing that it brings was what? Confusion and instability. Instability, which James calls double-mindedness. A two-souled, a two-faced, a fickle, and unsteady person. Another description of that word, double-mindedness, is one who wobbles or reels as a drunk or as a vessel on water tied to the shore that floats out from the shore and back to the shore and out to the shore. You never know where it's going to be. It's just as fickle as it can be. That's a double-minded person. Now, that is the end result of an unrenewed mind. It's the same thing as confusion, only it's just here and there, back and forth. Besides the confusion, they they don't know where to stand. Well, I know it says that, but this, and back and forth. That's one of the results of it. Now, I said the causes of this instability was, first of all, not knowing that your mind is yours, and you and I have the right to bring it into captivity. It's my mind, it's my hand, it'll do what I tell it to do. It's my mind, it'll do what I tell it to do. Now, I just noticed yesterday, and again this morning, when I got up, I was being quiet there for a while and doing some work, and suddenly I found my mind thinking thoughts That ought not to be there. And what a thrill it was to me to be able to say no. Now I I refuse those thoughts in the name of Jesus. This is my mind. I'll think in accordance with Philippians 4. Now you see I'm trying to walk out exactly what I'm teaching you now. And I'm finding that it does work. And I didn't get all ridden with guilt. I didn't get ridden with you know unworthiness and all the rest that the devil would like to lay on me. When a thought like that comes to my mind because I know I didn't want to think that thought. I didn't want to think that thought. That thought was placed into my mind. And when I see that and I suddenly recognize that, I can say, no, I will not think that thought. I refuse that thought in the name of Jesus. Now, let me ask you something. After all of this teaching, week after week, have any of you come into that experience and, and found that it works? Believe me, what I'm teaching you from the Word is true. When you and I begin to recognize that that instability and that confusion that comes into our mind is due to the fact that we've never come to the place where we said, wait a minute, It's my mind. I will not think those thoughts. They're not consistent with God's word. I'll put those thoughts out of my mind. Now, you know something? I had to do that in relationship to my series on marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I had to do that, but I didn't know what I was doing when I did it. I don't know why the Lord has always made me do that. He brought me into a time of deliverance before I ever knew what deliverance was. And in this situation, I finally had to come to the place. I said, I feel like I'm being flopped back and forth here. I've got to stand on something. And like Billy Graham, when he started to go into the ministry... He went out in the woods and he said, now, God, I have been to a seminary and I found out they said that some say the word of God is the word of God. The others say that it becomes the word of God. Some people say it contains the word of God and I've got to stand somewhere. And he says, I'm going to stand on 2 Timothy 2.15. I'm going to stand on the verse also that says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it. And if it isn't true, then Jesus was fooled because he said to those in his day, search the scriptures All of them in the books of Moses and the books of David and the books of Solomon and in the books of the prophets. Check them all out because they tell of me. Jesus, he said, God, I make a stand. I don't care what all the other people, theologians say. I'm making a stand that God's word is true because it says it's true. And, you know, God honored that decision. Now, again, I don't care what those thoughts may be that are coming to you. And unless you're a, a totally abnormal person, you're going to have thoughts come into your mind, thoughts of fear or unworthiness or anything. And you don't have to think those thoughts. If they're not consistent with Philippians 4.8, you don't have to think about them. In fact, you can refuse to think about them. And the renewed mind says, No, Satan, you're a liar. Jesus has delivered me. He said he would, he did. I, you're a, get away from me in Jesus' name. And instantly it was gone. My wife and I have had several experiences like that. In our home where it looked as though we were going to have an affliction right back against us and we'd say, I refuse that in Jesus' name. If I'm not mistaken, I think Ed and Bonnie went through that right at the very first there a couple of times where it looked as though the symptoms are starting to come back and Ed just said, in the name of Jesus, no. Satan finally said, well, I guess I better close shop here. The Holy Spirit's filled in where I used to be, so I'm going to have to leave. See, the renewed mind stands against what the senses feel. Oh, dear God, help me to get this thought across to us. Not knowing that your mind is yours. The scripture says we can bring every thought into captivity and fling it down. Throw it down. Just cast it down. No, I won't have that thought in my mind. I'll tell you, if you want to see people begin to get set free in their mind, that's the thing that's going to do it. When they quit listening. Now, let me, now, listen to me again. Many people go around listening to little voices all day and all night. Now, it may not be as pronounced with some as it is with others. But you drive along and a voice will say, boy, you're, pretty, you're a pretty sharp person, you know that? You're quite a talent. People don't realize how talented and how good you are, you know? And, you know, all of a sudden you think, boy, that's just having a good self-image. No, that's just plain old pride. And that's from the devil. And you can say, I am what I am by the grace of God and any good in me goes to the glory of God and I give God all the praise. Satan, get away from me in Jesus' name. See All these different areas that we just have heard those voices all of our life we begin to say, no, I won't think those thoughts anymore. I can't tell you what it can do for your Christian victory once you get this in your hand and in your heart, down in your spirit. The next thing that causes that insecurity is for those that say, well, God will take care of that in my life and fail to recognize that it is not God's job. It's our job to bring into captivity our thoughts based upon the truth of God's word, the Holy Spirit. You can set up an alarm system holy spirit make me aware of it when the wrong thought comes into my mind just cause me to be suddenly aware of it and it'll just be like an alarm going off when a thought comes in your mind and you'll say no in jesus name i refuse that thing god i am determined to think god's thoughts it will give you victory and i said that satan wins because of our ignorance of god's power in our lives of satan's defeat and of the authority that Jesus Christ has given us. And we're ignorant of our authority. Luke 10, 19. Look at it with me for a moment. Luke 10, 19. Now we say we believe this is God's word. We believe it's true. We believe it's settled forever in heaven. But how many times do we find Christians not walking in the light that they have in God's word? They don't know the word. Luke ten nineteen. What does it say? Jesus is speaking to the disciples. And they had just come back rejoicing that the demons were subject to their voice. They had to obey them because Jesus gave them that authority. And then Jesus spoke to them and says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Well, let's just think about that for a moment. Behold, who gives you power? Who gave them the power? Jesus gave them the power. Did he have it to give? What does it tell us in the end of the book of Matthew? All power is given unto me. And he says, now I'm going to give you that power. Here you are. He has it. He has, in the book of Revelation, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I have the keys of death hell, in the grave. I have all authority over Satan. He's already defeated. Now I'm giving you that authority. And he says, I give who? The disciples. Of course, that was just for back in that day, you know. Do I need to say it again? when peter petered out the power pooped out we have more and more churches telling us that all the time you know preachers going around saying oh yeah but that jeffrey came to me one day going to the school that he goes to and says now Daddy, said let's go through that scripture again there in corinthians and, and check that out where it says that that, that when that which is perfect has come then that which is passed away these gifts will no longer be needed and of course, they teach that that's the Word of God. When the Bible was completed, then all these gifts were passed away. Well, first of all, there's a terrific problem with that because it says that knowledge is going to cease too. Well, if knowledge is ceased, how in the world are we going to be able to teach anything from the Word of God? Now, that is speaking specifically of the coming of Jesus Christ. When we are like Him, we see through a glass darkly now, then face to face. In that time when we're face to face with Jesus, that's when that which is perfect is come. He's perfect. When He comes, we won't have need of these things anymore. We won't have to pray in our spirits anymore. We will be in our spirits, face-to-face with Him, knowing Him even as we're known, the Word of God says. But in the meantime, and of course they say, well, tongues, I don't see why you'd want tongues. That's the least of all the gifts. You know, time and time again, they keep saying that to me, and I keep saying, where do you find that? And they'll say, well, it's listed last of all the gifts. And I say, well, that's the criteria for it, huh? If it's listed last, it's the least. I said, well, then go over to the 13th chapter and see now, what's the last three things? Yeah, now it remains these, these three, faith, hope, and charity are love. And the least of these is love. I mean, it's got to be, it's listed last. Isn't it? What does it say? The greatest of these is love. But they'll always say, he was really going through a struggle on that thing. And he had to get grounded in what the word of God said. But Jesus said to them, I give you all what dynamite, dynamite. That's the same word that was used in Acts 1, 8. But you shall receive dunamos, dynamite, explosive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And he says, behold, I give you power or dynamite over how much? You know, it's an amazing thing to me how we can sit in our seats and say that thing. Jesus, behold, I give you all power. How much well? Not quite all, Lord. It's surely not all. All power. Over what? Over all the power of the enemy. Jesus said, I give that to you. I give that to you. Does that sound like defeat and discouragement and depression and unworthiness and everything? Does that sound like that to you? Jesus said, I'm going to give to you... Right now, I give you all when? He breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. But we've received the Holy Spirit too. He said, I'm giving you all power dynamite over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall very often hurt you. (laughs) Is that what it says? (laughs) Unless you happen to wake up in the morning with pain, then it'll hurt you, huh? No, nothing... Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, what I'm trying to do is get our minds renewed again by the word of God. I'm trying to show you where we walk. We walk, oh, this is going to happen. I know things aren't going to work out right. Things can't possibly... All these thoughts come into our mind from Satan trying to defeat us. And we have to be able to say, no, the word of God says, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Satan, you're defeated. You will not win in this situation. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it smells like. I don't care what it feels like. I don't care anything. I will stand on the word of God. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, it may look like it's going to hurt me. It may feel like it's going to hurt me. And my unrenewed mind will tell me that it's going to hurt me. Do you hear what I'm saying? We just will be totally convinced that it's going to hurt us. But it won't, because Jesus said it. Brother Webb, it, hurt, it didn't hurt. It might have caused you to learn a lesson when God brings something into your life, but He has promised that He has given... He didn't say, I still have all the authority over the power of the enemy. The trouble is, you remember what I told you happened to me for years when I used to run around my hometown getting chased by all these big fellas in my neighborhood? Because I always believed they could whip the daylights out of me until one day I found out they couldn't anymore. In ignorance, I was running all over my hometown trying to get away from them. And that's what many Christians are doing with an unrenewed mind. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. 1 John 4.4 4. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh, we sing that beautifully. What a wonderful thing thing to sing. But do we know it? Do we believe it? When the crises every day come and all of a sudden we begin to doubt and get discouraged, do we begin to just let that old unrenewed mind start getting wielded down? Or do we say, no, thank you, Jesus. You have given me authority. You have given me power over all the power of the enemy. And in Jesus' name, I refuse these thoughts. I want to share again with you. I'm trying to let you know that I'm walking this thing out. My wife and I recently faced another financial situation. And I don't mean to kid with you one bit. I could get up in the morning and the Satan would say, boy, you aren't going to make it this time. No, this time you're not going to make it. You're going to get it this time. The property going to be gone. You're going to lose it. Now, those thoughts came into my mind. And a few years ago, I'd say, oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. God, don't let me think. No, God. And I was just going around like a whipped dog. But you know something? This last time, I can honestly tell you that it was committed to the Lord. And when I get up, when the devil say, you aren't going to make it this time, I said, didn't make it the last time. Praise the Lord. He did it. See, he's in control. It's not mine, it's his. Oh, yeah, but you're going to go on to this time. What can I lose? It's not mine in the first place. It's his. I'm his. So if I lose it, praise the Lord. Satan, get away from me. Jesus says he'll supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And fellow, that's a good bank account. It's not influenced by inflation or recession or depression. I don't know where it's going to come from, but that doesn't make a difference. He promised. And every time those thoughts would come, I'd say, no, I won't think those thoughts. In Jesus' name, my needs are met. Glory to God, that need is met. Never the way I think it's going to be met. I always, you know, and that's another thing I've got to deal with. I always sit down and start figuring out how we're going to work it out some way, you know. Well, this is going to work out there, and then I saw all those plans begin to crumble. I have to say, Lord, forgive me. It's not by might or by power, but by your spirit. And I confess that you are my source and you're going to work it out. If I worked it out, can you just imagine me going around heaven with my thumb and my armpit? Saying, boy, did I ever work that out for the Lord down here in Longwood? You know, I really got things worked out. No, what God says, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm going to do it. And he always uses his own channel and his own way of blessing. Now, I'm saying that because tomorrow morning you're going to get up and you're going to think about what Pastor Webb said to you, I hope. Don't forget it that quickly. And Satan's going to come against you with a thought and I hope you'll realize that what I'm teaching you is not just some theory that I got out of some ivory tower. It works. My mind is my mind and I can determine, based upon God's Word, what I'll think. And if I can't, then my mind needs to be renewed in these areas. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Look at it for a moment with me. 2 Corinthians 2.14. I saw something here. I don't know what all the theologians would think of this, but I saw something here that kind of excited me. 2 Corinthians 2.14. I noticed it doesn't say, Now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. But instead it says, Now thanks be unto God what? Which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. What causes us to triumph in Christ? What does it? (laughs) I used to always read that, now thanks be unto God, who always causes us to triumph in Christ. That isn't what it says. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. What causes us to triumph in Christ? Thanksgiving. Thankfulness. Being thankful. Always being thankful to the Lord is what causes us to triumph in Christ. It doesn't make any difference what comes to us or how it comes to us or when it comes to us or where it comes to us. We say glory to God. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for this experience. You can't defeat a dead man. And if we're already dead in Christ, how are we going to get defeated? No one can destroy your reputation if you've already died and now it's Christ that's living out through you. And no one can take anything away from you if you don't own anything, if God owns everything you know when pressure comes upon us, when we begin to let that realization slip from us, that we're not our own, we've been bought with a price, and we begin to worry, oh, how am I going to, oh, God's getting me there, I've got to hold on to this. No, we don't have to hold on to it. We have to just keep committing it to Him. I say that again because our minds are going to be controlled by someone. It's either going to be unrenewed and the control and thoughts of Satan, or it's going to be renewed by the Word of God. We're either going to think what the world thinks, or we're going to think the Word of God. We're going to either think what Satan has to teach us about lust or we're going to know pure love as it's described in the Word of God. We're going to either know fear or we're going to walk in faith. We decide this. We're either going to know worry or we're going to know peace. We're either going to know anger and hatred or we're going to know forgiveness as it's described in the Word of God. I'll share with you right now, just listening the other day to Frank Hammond, another set of Frank Hammond's messages on deliverance. And this is the first thing he brought out. Of course, when he was talking about it, he said, it is impossible for a person to have a meaningful deliverance experience if they are unwilling to forgive everyone of everything in every situation. Absolutely impossible. We can think unworthiness, we can think loneliness, or we can think according to God's Word of what our position in Jesus Christ really is. A beautiful picture of this is found in Joshua, the first chapter. One of the first verses I memorized when I was a new Christian was Joshua 1.9. Be of strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. But Joshua 1.8 has a tremendous message to it. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law. What, what book is that now? What book was that? To the Jews at that time, what was it? It was the Pentateuch, wasn't it? It was the laws of God. It was the books of Moses. Now today we have a more complete book. But God was saying to Joshua back there with just the books that he had in hand... He said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy hand. But, no, I'm what does that say? Out of what? Well, he must have had to confess what the word said. Is that what it is? That's right. You know that those Jewish children had to memorize the first five books of the Bible by the time they were 12? But the, every Jewish child had to memorize the Pentateuch by the time he was 12. And now, not just memorize it because you can get it here and not get it here. He said, now, this shall not Depart out of your mouth, speak it, but thou shalt meditate therein whenever you get a few moments off. No, thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, he he gave him a, a premise and then he told him what the promise would be. Get the premise and then see the promise. He said, don't let that word depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night therein that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. Do you get that? Get it in your heart. Bring it out of your mouth. Meditate on it every day of what it's really saying. And then become a doer of that word. What it says do. Well, it can't mean that. Do it. Well, it surely couldn't mean Do it. Now, what is the promise that goes with that? And then. Underscore and then in your Bible if you want to. And then. There's the promise. When? When you have put it in your heart, you've spoken it out of your mouth, you've meditated on it day and night, you've observed to be obedient to what the Word of God says, whether you feel like it or not, and then, the renewed mind now, and then, thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Glory to God. You talk about a prescription for success. There it is. In one verse. Get the Word down here. Speak it out of your mouth. Meditate on it, Lord. Have you got something else for me to get out of that portion of Scripture? Then walk in that truth as you get it, Satan. No, I'm not going to think what you've got for me at all, Satan. Get away, in Jesus' name. I'm going to meditate on the Word of God. I'm not going to meditate on the fact that AI got conquered yesterday. But I'm going to say, Lord, why did they get conquered? Oh, there's a principle we didn't see. Somebody was sinning in the camp. God, let's deal with that thing. Get rid of sin. Now, God, let's go on. See? He meditated on it day and night, and then he was prosperous. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he, he, and I'll get this, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its season. He, his leaf, shall not wither, also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Does it pay to get your mind renewed by the word of God? Whatever I do will prosper. And then, and then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Isaiah 26 and 3 Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. Because he trusteth in thee. He trusteth in thee. He trusts in your word. God said it, I believe it, and that's good enough for me. The renewed mind. Then there's no confusion then there's no double-mindedness and instability because it's anchored in the Word of God and not by what they feel. I'll tell you, if we can come into that position, we won't get discouraged and depressed. We won't get mad. We won't get lonely. Instead, you will become teachable. You'll be a doer of the Word. I don't know how I can make it any clearer than I'm trying to make it, but oh, I pray God the Holy Spirit will cause you to... And I'm not saying you're not practicing it. I'm asking God to make this a... Daily, moment-by-moment moment, practice of all of our lives. When darkness comes, we immediately refuse it. We will not receive it. When anything contrary to Philippians 4.8 comes, and I, I'm asking you to memorize that verse, then you can hold it up in the light of Philippians 4.8. And I've really, literally done that. I've had thoughts come in and say, wait a minute. And I don't say it out loud. I, there's times when I've been in the car and I've said, whoop. But I'll say, wait a minute, Philippians 4.8, what sort of things are... Or true, honest, just... Uh Mm Uh-oh. No, I won't think that thought. No, don't want anything to do with that thought. Glory to God. Now let me think of something pure and lovely and honest. Good report, Lord. And I begin to praise the Lord. And I can't tell you what a joy wells up inside of me. Before long you know I'm singing in the Spirit as I'm driving down the road. I don't know what some people think when they see me driving along. But I'm learning a new truth from God's Word. How I can walk in greater victory than I've ever had before. Now you see, if a person wants to go around... Just sucking on self-pity the rest of their lives. Satan's going to just have a ball with them. But if we'll turn around and say, no, Jesus has promised me that I have power over all the power of the enemy. That's mine. Now I'm going to start walking in that victory. I'm going to start experiencing that victory tonight. You will. Now you'll have a battle. There is not a victory that's worth having if you don't have a battle for it first. Amen.